so great. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Well, as you know, we're uh, talking about Jesus and the miracles he performed and represented in the Gospel of John in these weeks. And today we want to talk about the healing miracle of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And that's in John chapter 5. So as uh, you turn in your Bibles to John 5, let me tell you a story. Several years ago, a school district in San Francisco did an interesting experiment. And they chose three teachers and said... You're the best we have, and we want you to teach 90 high IQ students, and we're going to let you move at their pace and see how much you can learn in a year. And at the end of that year, this experiment, they discovered that these 90 students had outpaced all the other students in the district by 20 to 30 percent. And at the end of that successful uh, experiment, the principal called the teachers together and said, I have a confession to make you didn't have 90 high IQ students. In fact, they were just run-of-the-mill students that were selected at random. Now, the teachers were feeling okay about that until the principal also said, I have another confession to make. You're not the best teachers we have. (laughs) You were were the first three names drawn out of the hat. (laughs) Now, what we learned from this experiment is something very important, and that is the importance of expectations. I want to put this statement up on the screen today as we begin. You get what you expect. Our expectations, for better or for worse, largely determine what our life will become. Now let that soak in and keep that in mind as we consider this passage in John 5 about the infirm man that Jesus heals at the pool of Bethesda. So as you have your Bibles there, turn to John 5. I'm going to read the first nine verses for us. If you don't have your Bible, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Thank you for standing as you are able to hear God's Word. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind the lame, the paralyzed, one who had been there as an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat And walked. And may God inspire us today through this powerful miracle. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, let me set the scene. Modern archaeological excavations have uncovered what is believed to be the ancient pool of Bethesda. It's a two pool complex, about 20 feet deep and about the size of a football field. So it's a large area. These big colonnades, which existed at the time, would provide shade in the Middle Eastern sun. And apparently, there were people who through superstition or other, uh, other cultural uh, tales began to believe that these waters had healing qualities. And so these lame and blind and crippled people would assemble around these pools. It's almost like a bad scene in a bad movie. And here is this one man who has been an invalid now for 38 years, and he would go to the pool every day to beg for money. 
And I would submit to you that this had to be one of the most monotonous existences ever. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. This guy probably sitting on a mat that's maybe two feet wide and four feet long. Eight square feet is his world. And there he is. He's in Groundhog Day. The same day over and over and over and over and over again. And he, he is there waiting, hoping. The superstition was that an angel or perhaps God would occasionally stir the water of, the, of these pools and, and that if you got into the pool while they were being stirred that it had therapeutic healing qualities and you could be healed of your malady. And so that was the, that was the tradition and, and people waited there. Now, it's probably not the case. It was probably just a, a cultural myth, a superstition that developed over time. What archaeologists have discovered is that there's a natural spring underneath these original pools and that probably what would happen is the, is the spring would effervesce and bubble up and, and the stirring of the water would be caused by perfectly natural means. But people had developed these superstitions around it. So this is more tragic a scene than you can imagine because not only are these people pitiful in their physical state, emotional, spiritual state, but they are living, in fact, with a false hope based on a false assumption. It's very, very dire. Now, this invalid's condition, of course, was being crippled for 38 years, and so we know he's physically paralyzed or has some other devastating malady, but we also suspect after 38 years under these circumstances that he would have emotional and psychological and spiritual paralysis as well. This guy is stuck, and there he is in this debilitating, handicapped condition. And he has continued to do the same thing day in and day out for 38 years, hoping against hope that he might be cured. Now, I want to say something to you. I want to make this observation about this man. Sometimes all of us need someone to come along and just be brutally honest with us and just be blunt. Here's a guy who's tried to get well with the same method for 38 years, and it's not working. And it's helpful, actually helpful to this guy for someone to walk up to him, look him in the eye and say, how's that working out for you? You know people like this. You watch their lives. You watch the chronic behaviors, the dysfunctional behaviors that they've engaged. And for whatever reason, they just keep trying the same things uh, and expecting different results. You know, this is insane because, because in order for us to have change, then we've got to make change. We've got to have a decision that alters our course. Even God can't help us if we're not willing to make change. And the turning point in this story is when Jesus walks up to this man and asks him this question, do you want to get well? Well, you, is that a trick question? Do I want to get well? His response is, well, sir, I have no one to put me in the water when it's troubled, when it's stirred. And Jesus asks him the question, not merely because he wonders if he wants to be well, but to ask him, if you want to get well, then you, you know you're going to have to do something a little different than you've been doing it because what you've been doing isn't working. And so this is what we've been learning in this series, that there are there are moments that God asks us to do the natural thing, the thing that we can do in order for him to be able to do the supernatural thing, that we have to play our part in the miracle work of God so that God can play his part. And for all of us, perhaps God would ask us to call us to consider 
a change of the way we perceive God and the way he works in our lives and the way he works in the world, that our expectation would be changed, that our faith would grow and it would, it would be more enhanced in more of a God-shaped form. I uh, think this is at the heart of the story, this man's expectation. He says to Jesus, look, there is no one to put me in the water. Do you want to get well? No one to put me in the water because the only way I can get well is someone put me, puts me in the water. Well, that actually wasn't true, was it? There's another example of this in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 5. We've rehearsed this story a bit recently, and this is about Naaman, the Syrian general. Remember, he was leprous, but he was a man of great power and status, and so he rolls into the country where Elisha, the prophet, was doing his ministry, and he's got this big entourage and and all these animals and all of these these, uh, fancy fixtures that come with his kinds of status. And he asks if he could get some help. And Elisha sends his servant out to meet Naaman. He sent his servant and said, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be cleansed. But the Bible then immediately says, But Naaman went away angry. Now why would a man who's leprous, who needs the healing miracle touch of God, go away angry when the prophet through his servant says, there's hope for you if you'll do a certain thing, then God will heal you. Instead, he goes away angry. Now, what's, what's that about? What's, what that's about is Naaman's expectation was here, and he gets this, and there's disconnect. Would you agree with me that most of the conflict that we experience in our lives, relational conflict and, and disappointments that come to our life, is the result of someone failing to meet our expectation or our failure to meet someone else's expectation. And we, just, and we miss each other because of expectation. In this story, uh, he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over me and cure me of my leprosy. So in Naaman's worldview, this is the way God's going to do this miracle for me. The prophet himself is going to come out here because, you know, after all, I'm a dignitary. I'm important. He, he should know who I am. Doesn't he know who I am? And the prophet should have come out here and he should have waved his hand over me and called on his God and then I would have been healed. And then he goes on to say, aren't the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? I mean, I could go back home and wash in the Euphrates. It's a beautiful river, a nice clean river. Instead, I'm supposed to dip in this muddy creek called the Jordan. This is insulting. Insulting. Now watch this. Because his, of his unmet expectation, he's about to miss his miracle. This is actually important now. Because his expectation won't change, he's going to miss the miracle. But there's another character in this story. And now it's one of Naaman's servants. And he comes to him and says, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And to Naaman's credit, he comes to his senses in this moment. He says, you know, you're right. If he had asked me to climb a mountain or, or defeat an enemy or something like that, and I'd be cleansed, you know, I'd do that. That's a big and noble thing. But because he's asked me to do a humble thing, I need to change my expectation if I want to be well. And what we've been learning through this whole series again is that, is that if we will adjust our expectation and submit to God's better plan for our lives, that's when the miracle power of God begins to flow. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became like that of a young boy. And so the miracle happened. Now here's what I'm guessing. It's our expectations. 
here's what I'm guessing. That our expectations, because they simply aren't aligned well with God's best plans for our lives, that we oftentimes miss God's best and even his miraculous best because of those expectations. Isn't it true that we set our plans and we expect God to bless them? And we have an idea of how it's going to unfold. We expect God to follow along. We create the blueprints. And then we say, God, thanks for uh, putting your special touch on this. When we should rather be saying, God, what is your design? What are your blueprints? What is your plan? Let me align myself with your will so that my expectations meet yours and your power will flow. Let me give you four really simple, basic, rubber-on-the-pavement, practical ways that you can sanctify your expectations so they align with God. Is that all right? This, this will be a way to actually connect with God's flow, His power in your life, and maybe release some miracles in your life as well. Here's the first thing, and that is begin every day in prayer. Begin the day in prayer. Now, I know what you're, I know what you're doing right now. You're going, okay, here we go, preacher talk. Preacher's going to tell us to pray, and then I bet you I know what the second point is. Read the Bible. Yeah, here we go. I, I can hear you. You're, you know, this, this is what preachers are expected to say. This is what preachers are paid to say. This is what you're supposed to do. And so how can I take him seriously when he's just doing, you know, in a cliche-ish way what he's supposed to do? You know, challenging me to pray. Well, watch this. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 1, The psalmist David said, In the morning, Lord, you will hear my voice. In the morning, I will lay my request before you. That's prayer. And wait in expectation. So there it is. Now, I'm just going to say it like this. In my life, I've discovered that when my prayer life is poor, watch, when I'm not praying as I should, my expectations go down. When I'm not praying much, I don't, from God, expect much. When I'm praying more intentionally, more fervently, more expectantly, then my expectation of God's work in my life goes up. Now, as I I say it that way, all of you are going, you know, I think that's true in my life too. When I'm not seeking God much, I don't expect much. When I am seeking God more faithfully in prayer, my expectations do go up. My faith does grow. And so I tend to expect more from God. Yeah, I think that's true for everyone, actually. And so... Hear it and make the application. Let me uh, tell you something. Um, at the base of our brainstem, there's a cluster of nerve cells called the reticular activating system. And the reticular activating system is that part of our brain that is responsible for what gets noticed and what gets ignored. So all of us are constantly being stimulated by, all, by millions of, of various things in our brain all the time through our five senses. And if it wasn't for this reticular activating system, we wouldn't be able to differentiate what we should focus on and what we should leave alone. Otherwise, we could just go crazy because it would be, ooh, a light. Oh, oh, someone walking. Oh, something on the floor. I mean, we would just be distracted all the time. It, this comes into play uh, like when you're going shopping for a particular uh, piece of clothing. You get in the store and your mind and your body actually takes you right over to that area where those items are. Or if you see other people in the mall, you notice someone wearing an article of clothing that you've been shopping for. Or if you want to pick out a new car, and so the make and model of the car, you decide, I'm going to, that make and model. And then for the next month, you see that make and model of car on the road all the time. Have you noticed that? I mean, there are thousands of cars going by. Oh, there's that one that I want. That's your brain's ability to focus. This is why it's, it's so important to set goals in your life, because when you pray and see, set God-sized goals in your life, 
uh, your brain, that part of your brain will actually be sanctified in such a way that you begin to focus on the things that God wants you to focus on to achieve those goals, those meaningful goals. Now, it, it, it relates to prayer for the same reason, that prayer can sanctify your reticular activating system so you notice what God wants you to notice and to let go of things that God isn't as interested in for you. And so prayer helps you keep that focus. One of the things I do is I just pick up my calendar every day and I pray through my calendar. I mean, how easy is that? Just pick up the calendar. I still have a paper calendar. I also chisel with a hammer and chisel on a rock, you know, just like that. <laughs> and so I like, my calendar is a, an entire month at one glance. So I have another part of my calendar that's a, the list of things I need to do. So I can glance at my calendar uh, and have a whole month in front of me so I can pray through that week, see the whole month, and that just helps me get perspective. And it leads me in prayer. That, that other portion of my calendar that has a list on it, I'm a list checker. And so I love to make lists so that I can check it off when I, when I complete it. If there is something not on my list that I accomplish, I will write it down on my list so that I can check it off. It's very gratifying. And so this helps me with prayer. And what I discover is that the places and the people and the events that are on my calendar, as I pray for them, I notice God begin to work and stir in those particular areas and gives me insight into that meeting or insight into that relationship. And I discover as I pray about these things that actually God has designed divine appointments for me in many ways. And so it enhances my expectation for my life. Years ago, a friend of mine helped me do a timeline. And the, the exercise was uh, on a linear timeline, chronological line, just mark the milestones of your life. You know, the time when you started school or the time you had a major event, maybe a crisis in your life or a disappointment in your life, a loss in your life, the time you came to faith in Jesus when you married, those serious milestones. And so we worked that out so, so that we could see the faithfulness of God throughout the course of our whole lives. And it's very faith-building and expectation-raising and one of the parts of that exercise was to label those chapters in our life with some kind of title, one word title. And I discovered myself actually labeling a number of the titles in my own timeline under the title of favor, favor of God. And that made me curious to know more about the favor of God. And I began to study the favor of God a bit more. And I discovered that the favor of God is God simply giving to us what we can't provide for ourselves. He gives us resources that we can't get on our own. He gives us opportunities that we couldn't manage on our own. He gives us connections with relationships that we could never dream up on our own. So the favor of God goes before us, giving us things that we could never manufacture ourselves. And so I began to really get enamored with the whole idea of favor. And so I began to pray that I would have favor in my life. This is just a focal point of my prayer. And it is every day. God, give me favor. And you say, well, you mean you want to have an advantage because God's with you? Yes. And I began to pray for my children that way. God, give them favor. And my grandchildren now, give them favor in life. You, oh, so you want your kids to be ahead of everyone else? Yes. Every advantage available, absolutely. And I pray for favor for our church. Oh, so you want Union Chapel to, you know, just to be out front of you know, everybody else and, and giving and loving and serving. Yeah, that's it. I want the favor of God. I want the wind of God in our sails. And it's God's good pleasure to give us his blessing and his favor 
Look at this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I've prayed this thousands of times now for my kids and my grandkids. May you grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. There it is. Isn't that a great prayer, parents? Start praying this over your children. Pray that the favor of God will be realized. So we wait. Psalm 5 one says we wait in expectation. Now, waiting isn't fun, but at least we can wait with increasing expectation that God is going to be with us and he's going to give us his favor. So every morning, every day, start, start it with prayer. Now, here's the second thing, just a very practical thing. Again, we're aligning expectations with God, and that is get into God's word. Now, please don't just hear preacher talk. This is so, so important. Because when the Holy Spirit quickens the promises of God to us, what's what happens? It raises our expectation. Suddenly now we have an anticipation. God is at work. This is the word of God to me in this particular moment. And the Holy Spirit has quickened this word and make it applicable to my life and my need, my situation. And suddenly now my faith grows and my expectation begins to elevate And I began to sense that, yes, God is going to do something and it's going to make a difference in my life. Look at this statement. I want to put it up on the screen. Either your circumstances are going to conform to your theology, theology, your understanding of God, or your understanding of God is going to conform to your circumstances. Now, now do you get that? At the end of the day, you're either going to give up on what you believe and let your understanding of God dumb down the place of your reality so that your expectation just goes down, or you're going to keep believing and believe that your reality, your, your, the current need of your life in this moment, is going to continue to be upgraded until it conforms to your theology. So you're going to dumb down your experience based on your expectation, or you're going to raise your experience based on your expectation of who God is. It's a very important distinction. So if you're not in the Word of God, you don't have a shot at getting this right. You have to be in the Word. You have to be in the promises of God in order for the Word of God to begin to upgrade your expectations. Because therein lies the promises of God. Why not start with John's Gospel? That's what we're studying in this series. Just open the Gospel of John. If you're not familiar with the Bible or you're not a person who currently reads the Bible... Grab a Bible and start reading John's Gospel. Heck, the whole seven miracles of Jesus in John's Gospel occur in the first 11 chapters. So just start reading through the first 11 chapters of John. You'll be flowing with the series, and you'll be learning as you go, and God will be speaking to you. Let me uh, give you a sobering uh, bit of information from science. Neuroimaging has shown that as we age, listen to this now, The center of cognitive gravity in our brains shifts from the imaginative right brain to the logical left brain. So as we get older, as we get older, the gravitational pull on the two sides of our brains begins to pull and shift from right brain, you're in your right mind, to left brain, you're out of your mind. As you get older... And more specifically, what happens here is this neurological tendency presents a a, a real serious spiritual threat to people who are getting older. Because at some point, what happens is most of us stop living out of the imagination, our right brain, and we start living out of our memory. 
In others, we, start crea- we stop creating the future and we start repeating the past. We get stuck. We settle down. We decide no more change for me, no more adventure for me, no more expectation for anything new for me. This is my life. This is my pattern. This is the way I like it. Nobody mess with me. That's when you start to die. That's the beginning of the end right there. So instead of living by faith, we start living by logic and by memory. At the end of the day, either memory will overtake imagination or imagination will overtake our memory. Now, I'm the kind of person, my brain is already wired to be left brain, more logical, more linear. And so I really have to fight this. My imaginative, creative side of my brain, I think is about the size of a pea. So whatever there is, I, you know, I really got to stimulate that little guy. Come on, buddy. Think of something new. You can do it. It's not easy. And as we get older, apparently, all of us suffer from it. And so we've got to work on that. Am I, can I push you if you're, if you're old? You know who I'm talking to. You, I've just described you. And you know it. So I want to nudge you. I want to just give you a good shove and encourage you to think more imaginatively. I heard the the story of a guy named Dick Foth. He co-authored a book called A Trip Around the Sun. A Trip Around the Sun. Dick Foth's whimsy is what decided to call what most of us refer to as a year. A Trip Around the Sun. (laughs) And A Trip Around the Sun is a book that Dick Foth has written because he has managed to bring most of his youthful qualities into adulthood. Someone suggested, quote, he's just a big kid. I also learned that Dick Foth hired a life coach the same year he wrote this book. His own wife mocked him. You're spending good money hiring a life coach at this stage of your life? Why in the world would you hire a life coach? He said, I want to put together a life plan. Dick Foth is someone where imagination is overtaking memory. And I, for one, I don't know about you, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. There's there's still more adventure ahead of us. The best is yet to come. There's still something out there to reach for. There's something out there to set as a goal. There's There's a dream that needs to be fulfilled. There's a sense of purpose that needs to be realized. There's a destiny to claim. And it's still in front of us still out there. It's not in the rearview mirror, but it's out in front of us. And Dick Foth gives us an example of that. Did I mention how old he is? He's 73. 73 years old. There's another nudge for someone. Now, what does it have to do with this story? Watch. I think it has something to do with it. Here we have an invalid of 38 years. We know specifically that he has been this way for 38 years. Now, the average lifespan in first century Palestine was about 44 years old. So this guy's at the end of his life. He's at the end of of this life. And, And so here's the question I want to ask. At what point do you give up? At what what point do you give up hope? When do you stop going to the pool of Bethesda? When do you quit trying? At one point do you just say, look, this isn't gonna work. I can lay on my my two by four mat anywhere. Why would I come out here in the hot sun at this pool when I could, you know, be in the shade all the time? And so we wonder about this guy. When do you stop trying? When do you give up? Is it after 10 years? 
How about 25 years? How about 37 years? 37, that's it. That's my limit. No, here he is. He's 38 years. He's got a wrong expectation. He has a false assumption about how he's going to get well. And yet he is clinging to hope. And for that, we can admire this man. Nod your head like, yeah, that's, that really is something. He's hanging in there. He's still pursuing the hope that he'll get better. I think what I'm trying to say is that we all know folks who seemingly have given up. You know, they're just phoning it in, just going to coast on to the finish, not going to try anymore, not going to imagine anymore, not going to dream anymore, not going to ask God for some great thing anymore. I've just, you know, I'm, I've been through too much. I, you know, it's been a hard life and here I am and, you know, I'm just beaten down and I don't have any energy and my health is failing. I just give up, give in. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. God has given you a dream. God has given you a deep sense of purpose. He's given you a, a call, a high call of noble purpose. You have a destiny in God. And I, just, I just want to offer to you the notion that you shouldn't give up on your dream. If this guy who's been an invalid for 38 years still isn't giving up and he's at the end of his life, you shouldn't give up either. Neither should I. That's good preaching right there if you'll hear it. Listen to Bob Goff. He tells his story about getting into law school. He first applied to law school. By the way, he's a trial lawyer today, faculty at Pepperdine University Law School. When he was rejected from admission to law school years ago, instead of accepting the rejection, he decided to go to the dean's office and sit outside his office every day till he let him in. So every morning, the dean of the law school would get to his office. There's Bob Goff sitting on the floor next to his door. Hi, Dean. At the end of the day, he's leaving. He's sitting right there. Hi, Dean. Just wanted you to know I'm, I'm ready. This went on for days. And the dean of the law school realized the only way he's going to get rid of Bob Goff was to let him into school. So one morning he showed up. He said, get your books. You're in. I just want you out of here. Wearing me out. I would say that's, that, that's a guy with a stubborn streak. Wouldn't you? How many of you have a stubborn streak? Come on. Come on. Oh, some of you are so stubborn, you won't even raise your hand. That's what I'm doing. Can't get me to raise my hand. I am stubborn, but you don't have to point me out like that. Not raising my hand. How about this? How about God sanctify your stubborn streak? If you've got a stubborn streak, get that focused on Jesus and then just go for it and don't give up. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't give in. Yeah, that's pretty good. Use that for his glory. Here's the last thought I want to give you. Uh, The third point, it's not the last, sorry. (laughs) I suppose we could make it the last point. (laughs) Find a high expectation partner. Find someone someone who will hold you accountable to expectations. Here's, Here's an exercise I'd like to challenge you with. Go home and just make a list of expectations for your life. What do you expect? Imagine your life all the way to the end. All the way to the end of your life. Ask yourself... What will I be at the end? Who will I be with? What will I be doing at the very end? Who will be surrounding me? I went online not too long ago to uh, use Google, and I went to this uh, uh, death, uh, what's that thing called? The death, uh, death death clock, the death clock. Sorry, I lost it. 
So what you do, you go to death clock. I don't recommend you do this. And you <laughs> type in all your vitals and then push a button. It tells you what day you're going to die. And so I went, pushed the button and went, oh, oh no. I mean, the death clock had me dying a lot sooner than I thought I should. And so I thought, well, I'm going to manipulate the data. So I went back and went out, did it over again. <laughs> Lied about a couple of things. Hit the button. It was worse. <laughs> Not doing that anymore. All the way to the end. And imagine your life there. For me, it's soon, apparently. <laughs> On your outline... Under the third point, I gave you a list of words there. This is how I kind of worked it out a few years ago for myself. I kind of did it like this. Before I die, I want to. And then these words you see there, be, do, have, help, enjoy, and leave. And that's just kind of an outline for you to think through this, if you'll do it, just to create expectation for yourself. I want to be, for example, I want to be vital spiritually. I want to be faithful to my sense of call. I want to be healthy physically, even though I'm going to die soon. So I want to be healthy Healthy right up to the end and then croak. I want to I do. I want to lead faithfully. Preach passionately. I want to champion the next generation. I want to finish well. You know, that's just my stuff. What is your stuff? What do you want to do? What's God calling you to do? How about have? Well, I want to have a growing influence. I want to have a deepening purpose. I want to I have significance. I want to be able to get up and go, you know, I, I, I have purpose in my life. And I'm going to keep, keep exercising that purpose and pursuing it. I want to help do some things. I want to establish new ministries locally, globally. I want to plant churches and worship centers. I want to see communities transform. There's lots of darkness in our world, friends. And, and the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Listen to me. The light shines bright through the local church. And I want to just see local churches established in dark places and, and make a difference. I want to enjoy some things. I want to enjoy my wife to do the things that she enjoys. And my, my kids and grandkids and lake time and hobbies and things like that. That's just... My things that I want to enjoy. What about you? Write those expectations down. And I want to leave a, a blessing, a generational blessing. I want my children to be blessed and their children after them and their children after them and their children after them. The blessing of God, generational blessing. Now listen, everyone in this room can point to generational curses that exist in your family, in your family tree. And some of you can see all these curses that are represented by addiction or dysfunction or disease and all kinds of curses that follow family lines. Listen to me. You do not have to experience a family curse. In Jesus' name, if you're a person in a family that has a curse on it, and you know you do, you can, you can break that curse off of your family, and you can do it right here, right now, today, in Jesus' name. And you can turn that thing 180 degrees and say, from my This moment going forward, my life and my family is not going to be under a generational curse, but we are going to be under a generational blessing. The blessing of God flows to me and to mine. The favor of God is to me and to mine from this generation and going forward. Uh huh. That's the promise of God. See, raise your expectation for that. Raise your expectation. Someone in the room right now, you're thinking, listen, you don't know my family. You don't know how harsh, you don't know how deep, you don't know how grievous this this curse is. And no one can shake it. Yes. Yes, it can be broken. It can be broken. So find a partner who will stand with you 
and hold you accountable to those expectations. Last thought. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. Let me tell you something. God has not given up on you. He won't give up on you. He can't give up on you. He made you with all, all this potential, and He knows how great your potential is. He will not give up on you. He will not. And so don't give up on God. Um, let me tell you the story of Nick Vujicic. Nick uh, was born with a very unusual genetic condition, and he was born without arms or legs. Some of you have seen uh, Nick on TV or maybe even been in one of his meetings. He's a Christian guy. He's an evangelist. He's a motivational speaker. He goes all over the world and encourages people. He said that his life changed in a divining moment when he decided that he would not be angry with God for what he did not have, but that he would be grateful to God for what he did have. And everything flipped on that decision, and his expectation changed. And so now he's given his life to help others. I love the cover of Nick's book entitled Unstoppable. Here's the cover of his book. Check it out. Look at it. That's Nick surfing. Here's what I love even more. Nick keeps a pair of shoes in his closet. People say, why do you keep a pair of shoes in your closet? You don't have any legs. And he said, because I believe in a God of miracles. And you never know when God's going to perform a miracle. And I'll need some shoes. Come on now. Come on now. Last story. When I was a young Christian, just a couple of years in my faith, my brother and I went to a, a Christian conference in Detroit, Michigan. One of the evening meetings during that conference had an emphasis of miraculous healing, physical healing. So all the songs that night were about God's miracle power. Preaching that night was all about God's miracle power. And at the end of that preaching session, the man who was leading that night gave an invitation for anyone in the, in the congregation that night, there was about 2,000 people there, that they could come forward for prayer. And people were coming forward and there were obvious needs in people's lives and unseen needs in other people's lives and they were receiving ministry. It was a beautiful spirit. And there was a young couple who came walking forward at that point in the service, and they were, he was carrying their little daughter, and she was about five or six years old, and she was dressed in a little red frilly dress, beautiful little girl, I mean, just beautiful. They had her hair curled, and curled cascading all the way down to her shoulders, just a, a little angelic little girl. And the reason her father was carrying her is because she was obviously crippled. She had huge braces, steel rods, on her torso, leather straps, and then around her hips, and then down one leg. And you could see that her leg was completely malformed. This birth defect had left her, her right leg about eight inches shorter than her left, and her foot was actually pointing in the opposite direction. So she was obviously and apparently crippled. And they carried her forward that night. Now, in a, in a service where you're expecting God's miracle power to work, you know, this is, a, this is a guy like a guy laying at the pool for 38 years. This is kind of a tough one. 
I was sitting on the fourth row, a very large space. I was on the fourth row, just like you count back four rows. I decided that whatever happened next with that little girl, I was going to see it. And so at 6'4", I got up and stood on my chair. The guy behind me missed the whole thing, but I saw everything <laughs> perfectly. Now you can count back four seats. How far away are we? Probably 20 feet, 25 feet. I was this close to what happened next. The man set, leading this service set this little girl down in a chair, and he began to unstrap all of these braces that had held her body in and as he finished the last, it took a little while to get them all off. And after he finished pulling the brace off of her little deformed leg, now if you get the picture of some wild-eyed, screaming, healing evangelist from TV or the movies, you'll get the wrong impression here. This guy simply lifted up this brace, and he looked at us, and he said in a very calm tone, he said, this little girl is never going to need this again. And he laid it down. Kind of like that Jesus fellow at the pool of Bethesda one day when he walked up to the 38-year cripple and said, do you want to be well? The man asked the father what conditions this little girl had, and he said, well, one of her problems is she has scoliosis. She was born, her spine is completely bent, and you could see that her torso was contorted a bit. And, and so this man just simply put his hand on her back and began to pray for her in Jesus' name. And while you couldn't see the healing miracle that was happening, from my distance from this event, you could hear it as one after another of her vertebrae began to pop and crack into place. Just like cracking your knuckle when times 10 or 20. Pow! Crack! Pow! Just working down her spine. And she was sitting there. She was in no obvious pain or discomfort. Her expression was one of amazement as her back was being straightened, miraculously straightened by the power of God. You could see her leg, of course. And so after he prayed for her back, he simply, he simply took her legs uh, and held them in front of him. And as she was sitting there, you know, her, her good leg was right and her bad leg was like this, her foot pointing in the wrong direction. And so, and so he simply said, Lord, I pray that, that this foot will come into a normal position. In Jesus' name, perform this miracle. Now, you understand this is a creative miracle that this girl is born without the right structure, the right connective tissue, the right, the right nerve endings, the right blood supply, all of that stuff, all, the, all of the physiology of that has to be create, recreated in the moment, just like this. And so, so as he prayed, her foot moved just about this quickly, just about like that. I saw this with my own eyes. So her foot came normal. And then he prayed for the length of that leg. Lord, now lengthen this leg so that it's the same as the other. In Jesus' name. And as he prayed, the thing, the thing moved just about like this. Just about this fast. He 
He stood her up. She'd never been on her feet before like this. He stood her up, and she'd never walked, obviously, in five or six years. And so he took his hands and manipulated her legs and just began to move her back and forth along the front. Now, you understand there are 2,000 people now. These, these are people who are gasping. These are people who are crying. These are people who are calling out, giving God praise. Not dissimilar to the kind of commotion that would have occurred at the Pool of Bethesda. Imagine her parents. See, they had, they had God in this level of expectation. They had resigned themselves, I imagine, to a life of caring for this crippled little daughter. They were going to do whatever they could to love her well, help her to establish her life in a meaningful way. And so this was their expectation. And then God just blew up, just blew that all up. Just, can you imagine? I mean, you couldn't get your mind around it. It was almost like it was surreal. I, I actually noticed the parents. The mother was almost ready to faint. And how could you process it? <laughs> and after about five minutes of helping this little girl back and forth, the man found, this, found himself with the little girl opposite the platform from her, from her parents. And then he just leaned down to her and whispered just very kindly again and said, go ahead and run to your parents. And she went running across the stage into her parents' arms. You know, like walking and leaping and praising God kind of thing. Now listen, friends. I miss God all the time. I get confused by why this and not that. Why this time, not that time. Why is it in my life sometimes I get a miracle and other times I just have to suffer? I, I go through that like everybody else. But here's what I want you to know today. From that moment, which I have just described to you, to this, I have known one thing for sure, and that is God is able. God is able. And that when it's all said and done, faith is actually unlearning all of the assumptions there are until the only assumption you have left is God is able. I, I, I don't have any more assumptions except I know that God can do anything. So this healing at the pool of Bethesda in, Matthew, in John 5, look, this one's an easy one for me because I've seen this one. <laughs> do you really believe that happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> I'm surprised it didn't happen more than it did. Because <laughs> God can do anything. He is able. In fact, the Bible says that he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want you to, I want you to raise your expectation of what God might do in and through your life. Raise your expectation. Get God out of the box that he's been confined in in your own worldview and, and raise your level of faith and let it, and let it rise to a higher level of expectation. That God, who is able, might just come in a miraculous way and touch your life or someone you love. So that's my hope today. And that's my prayer. So let's pray. Father, help us in this moment because I know that, that doubt can rear its ugly head and disappointment. Sometimes the disappointment forged over years can scream at the top of our lungs 
And that, that skepticism can haunt us, trying us not to, get, to get us not to believe your word. But I pray that you would help us, that we, with our two feet firmly planted in your word, would come to a place that we understand that, God, you are able. And, Lord, I'll be the first person to say, sometimes you choose to glorify yourself through miracles, and other times you've glorified yourself in my life through suffering. God, forgive us for believing that we can never experience or forgive us for thinking that we will always experience a miracle. But somewhere in between, there's a faith where we need to believe and we need to hold on to hope. And Lord, apparently we've learned today that 38 years isn't too long to believe that you are the God who is able. So I pray right now you would come and speak to the place that is most vulnerable in our hearts. Speak to the place of doubt, to the place where we're just enduring and barely holding on. God, give us the hope we need to hold fast to your promises. And Lord, as we dare to believe, release your miracle power in us and among us. Lord, we reach up our faith and we raise our expectations to believe your word, your promises to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. So we thank you today for your miraculous touch. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, as we, as we sing today, there are people at the front here who would like to pray with you if that's a need that you have in your life. You should feel free to come forward. Wait till after the service today if you want to come forward and receive prayer. That's great. There will be people here to minister to you. Throughout this series, we want to just raise our expectation, raise our faith, and believe that God might release his miracle power in our lives and touch us at the point of our need. So feel free, if that's your need, to come forward as we sing. All right, would you stand with us?